Haunted house, haunted mind. Come on in. Don't be shy. Nobody's going to hurt you. I'm Don Hill, and I've got a very odd story to tell you. It's a story about Canada's Rocky Mountains and a haunted house. It's a house I once owned and lived in with a ghost that was none too pleased to have me and my family there. I first talked about this weird experience nearly 20 years ago on national radio. Since then, I've learned more about apparitions, ghosts, and disturbances. And I've written about the stuff I couldn't have known about at the time of the haunt. At the end of the show, I'll tell you how to download the first of five chapters. It's an ebook serial you can read on your phone or tablet. It's the backstory with a few surprises and a twist that reads like a psychological thriller. But for now, let's go back to the 1990s. This is a true story. In 1993, I saw a ghost. At the time, I was certain that's what it was. But as a writer and a journalist, well, later I doubted my senses. This is part memoir, part hallucination. There are three strands, side by side, interconnected. Diary. Put a circle around a body of knowledge and examine its edges to get a sense of its center. Follow the path of memory. This is not a linear story. It's like looking for the source of a river. Sometimes the water goes underground, pops up in unexpected places, disappears altogether. I have landed back home in Sudbury, a mining community in northern Ontario. I've been away 23 years, and I'm surprised to be here again. But up the hill from where I'm living now, I found a key to an enigma and I'm no longer haunted by that presence, the ghost that lives in my former home in the Rocky Mountains of Alberta. For all their grandeur, the Canadian Rockies are also a landscape of strangeness. In the communities that share the Rocky Mountains of Alberta and British Columbia, there are tales about unearthly places, mystical realms that reveal themselves to only those who can see a netherworld where supernatural powers, lights in the sky, and wandering souls are part of everyday experience, the place between waking and dreams. Madame Blavatsky, the founder of the Theosophical Movement at the beginning of the 20th century, said that hidden in the vastness of the Rocky Mountains lies a secret sanctuary where ancient adepts and sages live to this day, preserving the secret doctrine and guiding the destiny of the planet. The stony Indian people who live in the foothills nearby accord the Rockies deep respect. These mountains are our sacred places, says Chief John Snow, a place of vision where the Great Spirit speaks. One should never settle there. It's where one comes temporarily to learn about life and the afterlife, a spiritual frontier. I used to live in the Rockies. My home was in Canmore, on the gates of Banff National Park, 
There are three peaks. They call them the three sisters, faith, hope, and charity, and they stand out like sentinels on watch over the river valley below. It's unspeakably beautiful. I moved with my family to Canmore in 1988. The local lore spoke of vision quest sites, friendly demons, malevolent spirits, flying saucer stuff, the whole shebang. It started innocently enough. We'd outgrown our half-duplex, and by 1992, we were in the market for a bigger home. Just about everything Anne and I looked at was either too small or cost too much. Then a friend of a friend tipped us to a house that was up for quick sale, under market price. A divorce, she said. It was a huge place, spread out over a corner lot. Perfect. There was even a world-class trout stream nearby. We couldn't believe our luck. Of course, we bought it. This is April 1992. I'm driving around with a real estate agent. He's showing me properties that are available in town. And one we drive by that's in a pretty nice location. Nice lot, nice looking house. And he um, turns to me and says, you know, I can't understand why that house is always for sale. And I looked at the house and I thought, yeah, why would a house like that be always for sale? This is my wife, Anne. We've been together for 24 years now. Diary. Moved in. Typical horror show. Place was filthy. I remember setting up my stereo equipment and felt compelled to play Looking in the Eyes of a Stranger by the Electric Light Orchestra over and over again. Diary. Frank the Mover said, I know this house. He says he's moved several people in and out over the past few years. Last marriage ended in divorce. One before that, too. Moving is always a hassle, and at first I thought it was just me, but Anne admitted to hearing the inexplicable knockings, too. Household fixtures and pictures seemed to be always off kilter, and the general atmosphere about the place was oppressive. It felt like a heavy weight had descended on all of us. Even the pets were uneasy. There were some intense spots in the house, and they were at the back of the house, and it was like a cold spot. And uh, after we moved in, one evening we were sleeping, and uh, there was this loud banging on the door like somebody had a baseball bat pounding the door. The dog was barking. We woke up, jumped out of bed, ran to that door, opened it, and there was absolutely nothing there. And then at that moment, I realized that we had some a presence in this house. It was there and it was vocal. The house that we lived in for 15 months, it was very close to a beautiful river, the Bow River, that winds between the Rockies on its way through to the prairie. Uh, we couldn't have a basement in this place because we were along a riverbed. It was disallowed in the town. We also happened to be close to a transformer on a power line. It was a very big house, 2,500 square feet. We had a built-in sauna, a huge walkout deck that was stunning when you looked at the peaks nearby. The spooky situation escalated. Several electrical appliances went wonky, and electronic devices, computers and the like, conked out for no apparent reason. Light bulbs switched themselves on, then off, or individually surged up and down in brightness, despite being on a shared circuit that wasn't turned on. Some even exploded. That alone was enough to convince a friend from out of town that there were other guests visiting for the weekend. 
I'd like to explain what I experienced in total in being in the house. This is Justine Miguel. She's a friend of the family. When I was taken to the back of the house, the energy was different. There was a real shift. It was almost as if I was in a ship and the back of the house was the ship that was sinking. And as we walked through the back of the house, I went into the back bedroom and the coldness, it, I mean, it was, it was as if that space belonged to someone else. Stay away. Leave it alone. And we were standing under some lights in the hallway, and one of the lights was, a, or all the lights were recessed lights. I was giving her a, a tour of the house, and she kept talking about the possibility of a, an entity being in this house, and she wouldn't be quiet. And my friend was standing right under the recessed light and telling me not to talk about it anymore. Well, when she expressed those very words, the light exploded over the top of her head into a million pieces. I've never seen anything like it. At that, we dropped the conversation. Diary. Neurological tick. Blinking left eye. Tension. I felt uneasy, and most people who wandered through did too. As a musician, I'm sensitive to feeling a groove. I don't know what it is, a gut feeling. There was something there, and it made us feel unwelcome. We had a terrible problem with the electricity in the house as well. Different uh, light bulbs would go uh, on and off. The fax line would, uh, was terrible. We, we weren't receiving uh, stuff. The computer wasn't acting correctly. And this was particularly on the main floor where the uh, feeling of intensity was uh, quite present. There were times when I was on the phone, and it's like the phone would be cutting in and out. And one time, actually, that was really quite peculiar. I was on the phone, and I heard this the, the strangest noise. It just sent shivers up my back, like a cackling in the background. And I thought, oh, my God. Diary. One end of the house always felt colder. Our bedroom. Unbelievable fatigue. And a feeling of not wanting to get out of bed. Drained of energy. Well, the kids were particularly sensitive, particularly Martin. I noticed that about the second month, he, he started to talk about ghosts, about is there ghosts in this house? I told him uh, there were no ghosts up in his room and he was safe up here because that was the safest part of the house. And Leanne had uh, dreams and she was particularly bothered at times as well. I realized then when the kids uh, came to me with this sort of information, because I was quite close and... Um, didn't discuss these issues with the children, that uh, it was affecting them as well. And that was a major concern to me as a parent. Dreams were full of anxiety. A deep depression settled in like a thick fog. The kids rarely lingered on the main floor of the house, preferring to stay upstairs in the family room. My prepubescent daughter felt someone was always looking at her. And I felt it too. Like I was constantly under surveillance. A sense of the bizarre prevailed. Spiders acted like they owned the place, and try as we might, we couldn't get rid of them. Occasionally, I had the strangest sensation of shrinking. It felt like I was getting smaller. Crazy, I thought. Well, there was a general sense of dis-ease. There was uh, some sense of something other than just the space itself. It seemed That's to be Terry Wall, a town politician, a friend. He complained of cold spots during a visit and insisted on helping me locate the source of the draft. I hesitated to tell him about our unusual situation. Didn't want to risk sounding like a nut. Probably the squirrels, he said. Little buggers get into everything if you let them. Betcha the insulation's all tore up. 
Well, that made sense. Complaints about the local wildlife were common. Let's have a look, he said. So we ventured down into the crawl space under the house. There was a coolness in the air. There was that overriding sense of uh, hair lifting on one's arms. As we went down to investigate, a light fixture brightened, then dimmed as if signaling its awareness of our intrusion. Seconds later, whoosh, a rush of cold went up my spine. What the hell is that, Terry said. It was some kind of presence. I can picture us huddled in the cool of uh, the basement crawl space and the flash of a light that took place when we actually mentioned the fact that there was this general uh, sense of something other than just the two of us being there. Under a light fixture adjacent to the furnace, a shadowy presence, something akin to a slightly luminous cloud, transparent, a wash of something that seemed to morph and obscure the light. It was like looking through an emulsion of some sort, a streaky window. I was scared. Well, the time that you and Terry went into the basement, Cindy and I were sitting at the kitchen table. I guess something went on in the basement. We didn't, Cindy and I didn't see it, but at the moment that it happened, the light at the kitchen table went on and off very slowly, like with a rhythm. And it was the strangest thing. And I said to Cindy, I says, there we go again. Terry, the eternal politician, tried to engage the specter in polite conversation, but it had already vanished. He talked at it anyway. We even whistled. An old Inuit trick to bring down the northern lights, he said. Nothing happened. Silence. Looks like you've got a border, Terry said. You're going to have to apply for rezoning. The moment was profound, but in the retelling of the tale, uh, of course, tremendous uh, drama is evoked and all of these things make for a fantastic story. The fact of the matter is there was an essential truth there that at the moment we could not deny. Who do you call for help? I was stuck for a sensible solution to a predicament that made no sense whatsoever. Science makes fun of people who claim they've been spooked by ghostly phenomena, and I'm not inclined to put much faith in New Age practitioners. Being Canadian, I compromised. When you called, I thought that you were apprehensive, um, that you were embarrassed. You had indeed, I believe that you had indeed seen an apparition in your basement, but you seemed to be embarrassed about it and, and worried. This is Linda Jane a Cree lawyer who at the time was a professor at the University of Saskatchewan. Worried perhaps about not being believed, or worried about perhaps what you knew that you saw. I do remember feeling a tad foolish on the phone, but not embarrassed enough to quiz Linda about ghosts and the idea that Stony Indians didn't live in the valley because, well, no one was supposed to. Well, it's only considered perhaps to be superstitious by people that don't believe that there are, in fact, spirits on this earth. I don't have a problem with it. I know that they exist. She suggested a ritual. First, smoking the basement and purifying it with sweetgrass, making sure to cover all corners, followed by an offering of tobacco, animal fat on a plate or some such thing. Leave it for a day, she said, in the basement where I thought the bad business was and then to bury it in clean ground, which I did by the railway tracks. Perhaps that wasn't clean enough. 
It didn't work. Next, my Catholic upbringing recommended the liberal sprinkling of holy water and plenty of prayer, all to no effect. My wife, Anne, put out a call for help. She phoned me and she said, Audrey, she said, we've got a ghost in the house. And it was very hard to believe. Audrey Watson, a family friend and a long-time Tibetan Buddhist practitioner. It was hairy. (laughs) She was very excited and trying to really get it across to me that this was actually happening. And I was intrigued. I asked her lots of questions. And she told me that the house had a ghost. And I said, come on, Anne, what do you mean, a ghost? And she said, a ghost order. She said, it jumps up and down, makes makes noises. It, we're completely haunted by this thing, and especially in Don's area where Don works. And uh, I've got to get rid of it. Uh, I want you to help me get find someone to get rid of it. And that was the beginning of it all. Audrey had an idea. Her solution was to call in the big guns, a Tibetan Buddhist lama. He was extremely relaxed about it and said, took it as an, an everyday occurrence and said, I will go and deal with this ghost. Lama Calden confirmed there was definitely something odd about the house. He felt it too. The Lama poked around under the house. He burned a special concoction of seeds blessed by the Dalai Lama and powder and incense in our black iron frying pan. He fanned the smoke around the house. It was strikingly similar to the sweetgrass ritual. He also performed an elaborate Tibetan ritual by the box stove in the living room. I was asked to assist. Earlier, he asked me to fetch some fresh bread, some meat. It was a pepperoni stick, as it turned out. He took the loaf and fashioned a likeness of every member of our family. The dog, cat, fish, bird Susie was also included. Little bows were tied as an aesthetic touch. I kind of look like a benevolent voodoo doll. The food on the plate was for the hungry ghosts that didn't know they were dead. So I asked him at the time what a ghost was, and he said it was a person who was trapped between life and death and hadn't managed to die fully and was left adrift between two worlds. And he said it was quite common. The Lama then asked me to carry the plate with our family likenesses out of the house to the laneway where it could be tossed to the birds. After that was done, he assured me that we would no longer be bothered by the ghost. Don't talk about it, cautioned the Lama gently. To do so is to give it life. I sort of got the idea that if we paid it no attention, didn't cognize it, it couldn't exist. Typical of Buddhist detachment, I suppose. You're lucky, he smiled. Luck meaning we were fortunate people. And we were at the time. Nice house, nice mountains. Moments later, he warned sternly, be careful. He repeated it several times. Being a Tibetan, I suppose he has knowledge that the rest of us don't have. He's always willing to step into areas where he knows he can be of help. For a time, the house was quieter. The Lama's ritual seemed to alleviate the stressful situation, but soon the terror was back, banging and thumping. Haunted House, Haunted Mind, Part 1. There are five episodes in the series. 
please subscribe to the podcast and be sure to go to the website where you can download the companion ebook to the show. There's lots to read, as well as new information and a surprising twist to the story I first told 20 years ago about my haunted house in the Rockies. Go to the website, canmoreghost.ca. That's canmoreghost, all one word, dot C-A. Haunted House, Haunted Mind is a presentation of appropriate entertainment. I'm Don Hill, and I'll talk to you again in part two. Meantime, thanks for listening, and pleasant dreams.